everyone, and welcome to the Voris at Work podcast. I'm Jackie Ford. I'm a partner in the Voris e-control practice and in our labor and employment group, and I'm the host of our podcast. So first things first, I hope all of you listening today are staying safe and well and keeping social distance um, as we all plow our way through this coronavirus pandemic. Our podcast today is going to be focused on work-related privacy issues during the pandemic. We have been spending a lot of time over these last weeks, all of us collectively, coming up to speed on a lot of new laws and new requirements all related to the coronavirus. Things like um, the CARES Act, new forms of sick leave, FMLA leave, tax credits and loans, the Voris team has been providing a lot of information about all of those new issues. But alongside those new requirements are some longstanding, important, pre-existing ones. And those pre-existing rules include the ones regarding privacy, and we wanted to make sure that we talked about those today because there are so many important privacy implications in the ways that we're all working and communicating now um, during this period. So uh, for today's podcast, we're going to be exploring a variety of healthcare and information privacy issues. And fortunately, I have my friend and partner Lisa Rice with us today to help us with that conversation. Um, Lisa is a partner in our Columbus office. She is a member of both the healthcare group and the litigation group. And Lisa and I are both members of the Voris Privacy Group as well. Um, Lisa has deep expertise in a number of privacy-related issues, including health information privacy and security, federal and state confidentiality laws, breach response, and many others. So I thought she would be the perfect person to have a conversation with today about privacy issues during coronavirus. So Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jackie, and it's great to be here today. Um, you know, it's an interesting time for privacy. Um, like non-pandemic times, there is a wide range of privacy issues and challenges um, that we're all continuing to face. And I think given the pandemic and just the interesting way a number of us are continuing to work, um, this time period really does pose some new challenges or at least heightens the ones that we're probably already working on. Um, again, we could spend probably hours on privacy and, and how it impacts a lot of our lives, but I, it just is we're dealing with this pandemic. Um, we've seen a couple of really specific areas that I'd like to highlight today um, as everybody continues to manage their workforces mostly remotely right now. And that does pose its own set of data privacy challenges and data security challenges. So the first thing I just wanted to mention was, again, as we're working remotely, um, that really does pose new risk to data. And as we've got folks spread all over home offices and other places, we've got some things to continue to think about. A lot of companies had started, I think, some remote working um, and, and telecommuting. Um, but probably not on this grand a scale. And so there's a couple of just reminders that you, know, you probably have implemented or are in some form of implementing, but that really, really need to continue day to day to continue to protect that, that vital asset, which is our data. So the, you know, the first thing I just want to remind folks is with your employees that might be working remotely, 
um, you, we, we need to make sure that everybody that has got our data on it is updating the software for the tools and the hardware um, that they are using you know, the, the data on. So it's making sure it's not just computers, it's not just iPhones. Think about routers and other places where data has to either travel or pass through. If we don't update data systems, and remember, if we're working in the office, our IT folks are probably behind the scenes doing those software updates all the time automatically. Employees don't typically, other than having to log in properly, log out properly, don't have to necessarily push those type of software updates. But when we're on our own, we do have to remember and to remind our employees they've got to update software. It's like making sure that we change the locks um, to allow the bad guys, you know, to keep the bad guys out. And when there is a software update, frankly, that's a roadmap to the bad guys saying, here's probably a flaw or a risk in the security of our system. That's why we're pushing this update. The bad guys, if we haven't updated, now have potentially a roadmap to, 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 make, to, to basically hack or access in a spot. It's a, it's a vulnerability we've got to make sure we've got to deal with. So, so Lisa, just, just on that point, would you recommend that employers, you know, give themselves some type of a tickler, where it com whether it comes from HR, whether it comes from IT, to just routinely um, push out reminders to employees who are working at home um, for them to, to do those updates? I just think that's such an important point. Um, I think that is a great idea, and you know, there's probably about three bullets that we want to continually update our, all of our employees on as it comes to these data privacy and security issues. This might be the most important one because, again, everybody's updates come at different times, so I do think it's a great thing to have some type of reminder to employees if you're seeing that little, you know, bullet on any of your uh, any of your equipment that says update, don't don't wait a week. We need to do that now, especially given that these are the primary tools that we're using. So I think that's a great idea, Jackie. Um, the the second point I want to make with regard to just working from home, data privacy type of things is, um, and and this is stuff that you are probably already doing with your workforce and and if we remember phishing schemes and scams are one of the highest um, factors for a hacker actually getting in and being able to attack a system um, as i say while we were probably back in the office your it folks were probably doing those reminders i know at Boris we get them all the time be aware of phishing scams and they become very sophisticated Folks might think that, you know, we just flew on Delta Airlines. The next day they get a, a, an email from Delta that isn't actually from Delta, but it looks like Delta. So it becomes very, very important that folks, especially remotely, especially at this time, continue to be very vigilant about the type of emails they're getting, the links they're clicking on, the data they're giving out. Um, and, and during this pandemic time, the bad guys have not gone away. There are a number of scams. There are a number of malicious websites posing as, hey, we're a coronavirus uh, resource. Click here. And if they're not legit, they may be a way for the bad guys to either attack or get data or passwords or credentials that can then be used against either that user and then ultimately the system if they get into it. So to Jackie's point before, this would be probably bullet point number two reminding folks over and over and over again not to be clicking on emails that they don't know where they're from, not to be clicking on links or attachments they don't know where they're from. 
And then honestly, the third thing is just being aware of scammers during this time period. It's April right now. April 15th is coming. That's typically tax day. We know this year that's going to happen in July. But during this time period, we see a lot of the W-2 scams. Some poor you know, young person in HR gets an, gets an email that looks like it's coming from the CFO of the company saying, please send me the W-2s of so-and-so. We had a client a couple years ago where 500, 600 W-2s went out the door to a bad guy because this you know, young HR person was diligently trying to respond to that email. So again, warning folks that if it doesn't seem right to make that call back to the CFO, say, hey, did you actually ask for these before you send it? If it doesn't feel right, smell right, you know, deal with that. And then the last thing I want to say about just sort of this at-home security is just, again, paying attention to our own personal security. If you can use a corporate VPN, do that. That's the best way to secure data, keeping it on the, 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 the corporate website, keeping it on, on the corporate servers. If there's a way that we can't use VPN, maybe it's downloading some antivirus that we wouldn't typically have on our own personal computers, but that might make sense during this pandemic time. There's other things that we can be doing as well, physical security. Don't leave your laptop down on a first floor table next to a window. That's just inviting somebody to break into the window and steal the laptop. Encrypt the laptop if we've got data on it. Um, never leave it in a car. You know, all the stuff that we are doing generally, but maybe at this point because of the remoteness of this, just reiterating those type of security, just best practices and, and you know, best hygiene for this type of data. Well, Lisa, I just think that's such an important point because it does come down to very practical everyday things. As you say, physically, where is the computer next to a window? Who has physical access to that computer in your home or the other data that you may have? Um, you know, we we had a case uh, some years ago, actually, it was a um, case in Michigan where um, a union steward had brought work home and that work included uh, spreadsheets that had employee uh, personally identifiable health information and financial information. Unknown to the union steward, his daughter, who lived in the home with him, uh, was an identity thief. And uh, he left his computer open on the table. Um, she stole information about another em a number of employees and caused havoc in their lives. And ultimately, the union and the union steward were held responsible for not having taken sufficient safeguards to protect that data in the home environment. So, so it's a really good reminder, as you say, it's a kind of thing you, you guys and your group and ours have been advising clients to do, but at a very practical level, we have to be giving those kinds of tips now to people who are working at home. Now, I, I completely agree, Jackie, and we see that all the time as well. You know, folks are either too trusting or they just assume that the worst isn't going to happen. And when you sort of leave the invitation open, that's how, you know, that stuff gets away very quickly. And if you haven't taken, you know, sort of reasonable measures, that really can come back to haunt not only that employee, but the employer who's depending on that and, you know, depending on that employee to use best judgment. So it's a it's a great illustration and a good point. Um, the, the other thing I want to mention that's sort of related to this, you know, sort of remote working risks and how we sort of minimize them is also, this is also a good time potentially to look at your, you know, your company's bring your own device policy. Now, again, we're sort of not bringing it to work, but we're still using it for work and making sure that everybody's on the same page with regard to 
what happens to data that's on a personal device when the data is the employer's data? And what should the employee expect when it comes to their personal device if they're using it for work? We've seen everything from you know, contracts to some type of agreement, you know, written or unwritten, but at the very least, and you know, the employees must understand that if they're going to use their own personal devices for work, the employer is going to have some need, and you know, again, at least some either implicit or explicit in writing rights to be able to access when they need that device to obtain data for litigation, for administrative purposes. Um, you know, what, whatever that's going to be. It really is a challenge um, when you, let's just say you have a threat of a claim. How do we put a records hold on that type of data when it's on somebody's personal device? Um, so I do think that as we migrate both away from the office and then frankly back to the office, there may be a lot of data sitting on personal devices that we're going to have to account for, migrate back or at least be able to put some type of record hold or understanding about what happens with that data should it be needed in the course of business. So that's another place that I see there being an issue. The, the last thing I just wanted to mention today is notwithstanding the pandemic, there are a number of regulators that regulate data privacy, data security at this point. Um, you know, in the U.S., the, the first one was the HIPAA laws that govern you know, not just healthcare providers, but remember, if you have a health plan, you do have a HIPAA issue. So making sure that you are HIPAA compliant. That regulator, OCR, has said, notwithstanding an emergency situation, HIPAA compliance obligations generally don't go away. So while we're very busy with having to deal with, respond to, keep operations going during this emergency, we have to remember that those compliance obligations don't go away either, and in some cases may become even more important as a health plan might have COVID information by somebody that's being tested. It can't be used if it's in a health plan, except for a very few exceptions. So just being very careful with that type of data. Um, other places we've also heard, the California Attorney General two weeks ago said, hey, I understand we're in the middle of an emergency right now, but I fully expect to start enforcement of the California Consumer Privacy Act as expected on July 1st of 2020. Simply because all of you are distracted right now by this other huge issue doesn't mean those obligations aren't going away either. Interestingly, Italy, um, under the GDPR, their, the Italian Data Authority basically said the same thing in the middle of their crisis, saying, if you're going to be collecting uh, personal data about the COVID crisis, that is still going to be governed by, and you must deal with the processing, the collection, and the use of the data so that it is compliant with the provisions of GDPR, which we all know are very, very broad. So again, just some examples of simply because we're in an emergency right now doesn't make those obligations go away. So just want to make sure that we're keeping our data privacy and security health in, in a good place right now, even though we might be distracted with other things. Well, that's another really great point, Lisa, and I think a reminder that you know when we talk about data privacy, we're talking about at least two general buckets. One is what do I need to do to comply with various uh, regulations and statutes and the like? But then is, what is my self-interest as an organization in protecting the privacy and security of my information and that of my 
customers and that of my employees. So, um, you, you know, you're sort of doing two things. You have two purposes at once for really making sure you're you're exercising best practices right now and not getting so overwhelmed by all the other coronavirus-related issues that you lose sight of this because it, it is important both from a liability standpoint and from a uh, self-interest um, kind of perspective. Um, and you hit a little bit, uh, Lisa, on the employee side of it in terms of employee data coming through health plans. Um, we are getting a lot of questions in over in my world about employee medical information during this time. So on this general theme of privacy, I wanted to talk about a couple of scenarios um, and, and give you, you know, again, just sort of a general framework um, for what you need to be thinking about in terms of employee privacy right now. I think a lot of people think, well, wait a minute, don't we need the opposite of medical privacy right now? Don't we need to be sharing medical information in order to protect our employees and do our, our part in a, in a public health crisis? And the answer is not necessarily. And in fact, in some circumstances, you're going to be prohibited uh, from doing that. So just as some background to remind everybody, you know, what is the purpose of these employee medical privacy laws and protections? Uh, why do we have them? Um, and I think because I think if you understand the why, you understand the, you know, best practices to take that flow from that. So we have these medical privacy laws because we want to protect confidentiality in order to encourage people to come forward. Um, they may not want to come to you as an employer and say, hey, I'm having these symptoms or, hey, I've been diagnosed if they're afraid of, you know, being, you know, in effect outed or stigmatized or something. So you have them for that reason. You want to be able to communicate with your workforce in ways that promote um, trust and health and safety. And, of course, you want to prevent any discrimination or harassment against people um, because of their medical situation. The primary statute that we're dealing with in when we're talking about medical privacy in the workplace is the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, which has a confidentiality um, provision. The same is true of the FMLA, the Family Medical Leave Act. And of course, there's lots of state privacy laws that can apply to. The way the ADA plays in for us and what we've now and what we've been hearing about from clients is um, the, the ADA generally prohibits um, medical exams or medical inquiries, asking someone about their medical information. Um, there is an exception, of course, if you have a reasonable belief based on objective evidence that that employee's medical condition could impair their ability to safely perform the job or that because of that medical situation, the employee is going to pose a direct threat, that's the ADA terminology, a direct threat uh, because of their medical condition. So how does this really play out? Um, this is the kind of scenario that we're hearing right now. Um, one of your employees calls and reports to you that he's not going to be coming into work today because um, he has tested positive for the virus, and so he's going to be quarantining at home. What should you do with that information? And what can you do with that information? Under the ADA and various state privacy laws, you do have an obligation to take reasonable steps to protect the confidentiality of that information. Um, if you want to follow up within your workplace and do some research to determine, you know, if other people uh, who worked around this person um, may need to be made aware. You want to do that in a way that does not disclose the identity of that individual who's provided you with that information. If they have volunteered to you, hey, I, I have no problem, you can go ahead and 
make that disclosure, you can do that. But um, it's a tricky, slippery slope as to whether that consent was really voluntarily given. So you want to be very careful in that regard. You also want to check with your local health authorities to see if you have any obligation to report information to them. Um, employers generally do not have a duty to uh, report infectious diseases, but there are exceptions for things like employers in the healthcare, um, veterinary, educational, or daycare fields. But quite often, your public health authority will have a guidance available for you now on their website that will walk you through the steps to take to do your own internal investigation as quickly as you can and try to isolate those who may have been exposed. So related to those ADA and privacy issues is another competing set of laws and restrictions that are longstanding but are in full effect now during this crisis, and that is your obligation under OSHA to provide a safe workplace. Remember, under the general duty clause of OSHA, um, it requires employers to take reasonable precautions, there's that word reasonable again, reasonable precautions to ensure employee safety and prohibits you from placing employees in situations likely to cause serious physical harm or death. So let's go back to this scenario uh, where your employee, Frank, has, has called in and told you about these results. Do you need to go and um, do some work with Frank's coworkers to try to determine who might have been in close proximity to him um, so that you can promote a safe workplace. Again, you can get guidance on that from your local public health department, but in many cases the answer is going to be yes, you're going to need to take some steps to do that so as to promote a safe workplace. Uh, Jackie, when Frank has actually gone instead to his own supervisor and said, hey, Joe, I, I have these issues, and then Joe starts his own investigation and then believes he's got to tell everybody. How do you how do you kind of again deal with those two competing interests when you sort of have that already the train out of the station a little bit situation? Because we've had a couple of employers that have had to sort of deal with that midstream. So it's a great question because that's the way it really plays out in the real world, right? So maybe Frank has just exhibited symptoms and, and Joe, the supervisor, has questioned him or Frank has said, hey, I've, I just got a call from my doctor's office. I tested positive. Um, you know, and in that situation, you want to make sure that you have provided training to your supervisors ahead of time so they know uh, that they need to take that information seriously, certainly guard the um, confidentiality of it, uh, and work with their HR partner internally to make sure that they're doing the right kind of um, swift and effective investigation to, um, if need be, isolate and, uh, and protect other employees. What you don't want happening is for that supervisor to turn into a rumor mongerer or anything like that. This is the, the kind of time when that kind of behavior can be really destructive and uh, can, can stigmatize and otherwise um, defame or harm um, people if they, they aren't, in fact, you know, ill or, or really don't have those symptoms. So um, it's really important. I think, Lisa, you've made the point a couple of times today, and I'll, I'll make it as well, that you know, a lot of these things are very hard to do on the back end. When the, you know, when the situation has already unfolded, you want to be able to do as much training and highlighting for your team ahead of time so that when these things arise in real time for them, uh, they'll have a mechanism and a system ready to go and they know what to do and who to report to. Um, 
One other medical inquiry question we're getting a lot is, is somewhat related to the one you just raised, Lisa, which is, can I ask an employee? Gee, you, you seem to be coughing a lot. Um, are you sick? Have you been tested? Do you have a diagnosis of this, of this illness? Um, the general rule under the ADA is that an employer may not make medical inquiries of an employee. Um, and the EEOC has actually put out um, a guidance, it's, it's years old, but they've updated it, uh, called Pandemic Preparedness in the Workplace and the Americans with Disabilities Act. And they've gone back to that general rule on medical inquiries and reminded people that, yes, there's that general rule that we don't ask those questions, but there are two really important exceptions. The first is you can question the employee about their medical condition when the employee's ability to perform the essential job functions might be impaired um, by that condition, or when you think the employee may pose a direct threat to the workforce because of the medical condition. Well, certainly if you have reason to believe that an employee may be positive for the coronavirus, that would certainly be something that would pose a direct threat based on medical condition. But you have to have a reasonable belief that the employee poses that threat, uh, and that has to be based on objective evidence. Um, and there's, again, additional guidance on that you can find on the EEOC website, and we will link to that um, on, our, on our podcast page as well. So we, we've covered a lot of ground today. We could probably spend hours uh, talking about all the different privacy-related types of issues that you guys are seeing the most frequently, whether it's on the data side, uh, whether it's on the employee medical information side, or other areas. And it, again, it's one that's really hard to solve for after a disclosure has already occurred. So I just can't emphasize enough the importance of thinking about these things now and putting uh, practices in place um, to prevent these things from happening. So these regular reminders that Lisa was talking about, give yourself a tickler to send those out, guidance uh, for your supervisory staff in particular, um, guidance for employees about who to report to or ask questions of if any of these medical conditions arise for themselves or coworkers, and then of course making sure you're sticking and staying up to date with what um, guidance your local um, health departments are putting out as well as the CDC. Um, Lisa, we've run through a great deal of information, uh, but uh, I just wonder if you have any any closing thoughts you'd like to leave folks with? Yeah, and again, it's mostly reiterating, I think, what Jackie just said. Um, you know, the preparedness piece is super important, um, and uh, you, you're, you're only going to be as good, and your data is only going to be as secure and as tight as, you know, all of the people on the ground. We all know we get inundated with you know, a gazillion communications, but these really do have to stand out because all it's going to take is that one click on that link. Um, and you know, folks miss them all the time. Um, we just need to make sure we are continually being effective in our communications and our training so folks are making you know, good choices to be able to secure data. Great. And, um... I should probably also mention, too, that the Voris team has been working on a number of um, 
checklists and templates and um, training programs that we can uh, work with you on if any of you uh, need some help or need some direction in how to put those kinds of processes in place. Um, so with all that said, um, I hope you guys got some value today and will really be diligent about these privacy issues going forward. Um, thank you all for joining us. And now, let's get back to work. Thank you.